Um, I am here with Kelly Schultz, who is a veteran and a premier veteran of um, the New Orleans and Company, which is our name for the Tourism Commission in New Orleans. And um, this has been one hot month, and I don't mean temperature. Um, month or two, I should say, April and, and uh, now uh, the beginning of May, uh, for the tourism industry and therefore for the rest of us in the city of New Orleans. So um, I thought it was important to check in with you and have you, um, you know, like praise uh, our city for being such a great place for people to come and the job that you all have done in helping to uh, bring us back after a very, very difficult time. I don't think it's completely over, needless to say. Uh, we can touch on that a little bit, but um, things are going pretty nicely right now. So tell me about yeah. it. It is, as you said, it has been hot in a good way. <laughs> um, you know, I think over the last two years, you and I have talked about what's not back, right? And, and how much things have been not on the calendar and how much people in the, the cultural economy have, have suffered so much. And it's really nice, you know, in 2022, if you think about, we started the year with the Allstate Sugar Bowl. We went right into Mardi Gras. Then we had the NCAA men's final four, which was a huge success. Then going into the return of French Quarter Fest, now Jazz Fest, and then sprinkled in there have been some major conventions. We hosted a, a gathering of 10,000 electrical engineers recently. And we also hosted the American Association for Cancer Research, which was 14,000 people from 73 countries who are involved in cancer research, wow. you know, not only did, were they in New Orleans for our biggest convention, but that was the largest gathering of cancer researchers anywhere in the world since COVID began. Wow. So two of those types, and now, you know, the iconic worldwide iconic jazz fest. So to have these things back on the calendar is great for us economically, but I think it's also just something we all really need emotionally as well. Absolutely. But I want, I, I can't go on, um, and, and we will with uh, all the events and, and the, the impact of it. But I just want to go back to that, um, the cancer research and the electrical engineers. I mean, they had to have planned this some time ago. So it was a real um, sort of expression of faith in our city uh, that they would book it. They had to book it during the pandemic, right? Well, it, you know, in some cases it was booked way before the pandemic. I mean, in some cases, you know, five to 10 years prior. So, I mean, we're booking business right now that may not come to the city until 2029 or 2030. So we work pretty far out, but I'll tell you, you know, it was a big deal for these groups to, to recommit. Hang in, right, to hang in and keep their commitment. Absolutely, and to say, we're gonna go forward with an in-person convention. And, and because they had the faith in us that, that we knew how to execute execute these meetings safely, and we've proven over and over again that you know during COVID the most important thing is is safety and following the guidelines and doing things in a in a safe and responsible way. Um, and and we worked closely with them during the pandemic and and to to remind them that we were still prepared to to welcome them back with open arms, and we did. And you know both gatherings were very successful. You know, coming up here in the next month, um, we're going to host major medical conventions, one for the American Psychiatric Association and another one for the American Urological Association. So these are two more 
really prominent, large medical conventions that are gonna be coming back to the city, which we've worked with them for many years, um, worked with them during the pandemic, and they know that New Orleans is ready for them and excited to welcome them back. It's really, it, it's amazing um, because, you know, it, it was really a very downbeat time. So through all that downbeat time and, and, and lots of uncertainty, I mean, I would say the one factor that everybody talked about throughout the entire peak of the pandemic, let's call it, um, was the uncertainty, just not knowing from one day to the next what we were dealing with and was there going to be another surge? I mean, we're seeing some other surges around the world right now that are, are kind of scary. And I, I should actually go ahead and ask you about that too. But um, for these major associations to, to um, hang in is really yeah. definitely a credit to the work that you all know how to do and do so well. And well, thank you. And also our partners at the convention center, you know, our, our partners at the hotels, the, the transportation companies. I mean, it's definitely a, a citywide effort to make these things, sure. you know, come to life. And uh, um, we're, we're happy to, to have them back. And, you know, those convention groups, they use different parts of the economy. You know, they're, um, you know, they're going to maybe rent out a private room at a restaurant so their board of directors can have a dinner. Or they're going to require, you know, security and audiovisual companies and and transportation shuttles and things like that. So it it affects a little bit of a different part of the economy than it would say, you know, some leisure visitors who are coming for Jazz Fest, which are equally important, but it's just a little bit of a different um, economic impact. So and not only the surges, but we also had to deal with Hurricane Ida last year. Um, which was another sort of obstacle that we had to overcome in terms of selling the city and, and letting people know it was okay to come back. But um, we're, we're looking pretty good thus far in 2022. Yeah, I mean, we're hearing that it will be an active season. Um, and I, I don't think there's any question in anybody's mind. I, if there's anybody who's still out there as a climate denier, I would just be amazed at, at genuinely, as opposed to for political purposes. But um, I, I th we know that we'll have those challenges. And we've, um, I think one of the things about New Orleans that we talk about a lot is, is how we are really a model for how a community, how a city, how a region has to grapple with the impacts of climate change that are not going away. They are going to keep coming at us and they are, they're in, they're very widespread and deeply impactful. So um, we're, we, I, I believe, have a kind of business model in a sense, in addition to a, a, a strategy for literally handling the impact of the onset impact and, and uh, recovery after a storm as much as anywhere. So um, you, you must deal with that a lot when you talk with people with your meetings. Yeah, we, we do, you know, and we, we have a very savvy sales team. And of course, they remind them of the incredible amount of work that's been done um, post Katrina in, in rebuilding the levee system. And the, you know, there's a 23 foot wall that's helping protect the city. And so we do give them the facts about the, the work that has been done to restore the flood protection for the city. You know, during Hurricane Ida, we talked about, you know, yes, there was, was damage in our region. But New Orleans largely um, did well from Hurricane Ida, in part because of the, 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 the flood protection and the lessons that we learned following Hurricane Katrina. 
Um, but yeah, you know, we're a lucky curve of the story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, but we did lose. Um, there were two major groups scheduled to be here in September of last year, two major conventions. And unfortunately, their arrival coincided with Ida when our region was dealing with um, a lot of loss and, and significant power outages in New yeah. Orleans. So those, but you know, we do, um, we actually do get questions about climate change and, and how it affects um, things like hurricanes and when now of course New Orleans is not the only place it's susceptible to hurricanes but you know that it just shows you how much our world has changed and and whether it's dealing with a, a pandemic or climate change or you know we have to answer a number of of questions whether it's visitor safety um, you know crime and security um, how hurricanes may be affecting the city in a different way because of climate change I mean you know, our, our team has to be pretty savvy and, and fact-based and, and explain to customers about um, the facts and what's going on and why we're prepared um, to handle some of these, you know, challenges of, of selling a city in a, in a new world. There's also the reality that this is happening everywhere. Um, I know that we are um, a little bit, not more than a little bit, we are pretty obsessed with the um, kind of a staggering uh, uh, crime events, especially lately, that have been, um, in some cases, shocking and, and dis distressing. But they are happening um, literally worldwide. Uh, and even in European countries that didn't used to see what we experience here in, in many uh, communities uh, for various reasons. But um, so it, it's nothing, they, they've got to know that wherever they go, they're going to be addressing it. And so again, I think it is their faith in the infrastructure in our city, uh, both Tourism Commission and Convention Center and our security system and our city hall, everybody um, is up for the task. Yeah, and you know, we always remind um, our, our groups in particular of the New Orleans Police Department. I mean, they are some of the best in the world at putting together these very large, very complex um, events. Like if you think about a Mardi Gras or a Final Four, or, um, you know, I was out at Jazz Fest earlier today for some interviews and, and saw tons of NOPD officers. So, you know, we really salute them and, and thank them for what they do to keep all of us safe, not only our, our visitors, but all of us who live and work here too. So knowing that they have that expertise to pull off these large, complex, logistical events, um, that, that brings our customers comfort as well. Uh, you, um, uh, I, I would assume, have some sense of the uh, dimension of the economic impact from JazzFest or, or not quite yet? Well, you know, JazzFest, um, when we talk about JazzFest, which it's, it's so nice to have it back in town after not being here since 2019, um, we are we are seeing you know strong hotel occupancy. Um, you know the the city has been been pretty crowded, which is a good thing. But in terms of the economic impact of Jazz Fest, the number that we use is four hundred million dollars. So that is like having a Super Bowl every year in the city. And if you think about you know the ripple effect of what that means, I mean obviously it's it's putting musicians to work. It's, it's the people that are leaving Jazz Fest and going into the music clubs all over the city for shows, you know, in the evening after the Jazz Fest um, gates close for the day. It is, it is restaurants, shops, people taking tours, buying art, 
um, going to different galleries. You know, the, the ripple effect of something like this is, is huge. Um, we talked to someone the other day who was in town for the entire um, Jazz Fest and he decided to join a local gym for two weeks while he was here. So, I mean, oh. even things you can't think about, you know. Well, how about those people who come here and uh, send for their clothes and possessions and never leave? There are so right. many oh, yeah. examples of that. I, I hear about that every single, every single year after Jazz Fest, there are those people who just say, yeah, I, I don't see any reason to go back to Pittsburgh or wherever. You know what, Jean, that is so true. In fact, I was hosting some journalists. I won't share their name, but we hosted some journalists in New Orleans recently. And, uh, you know, they said, I think we're finally going to look at buying a place here. And <laughs> which is like the, the best, you know, yeah. showcase of how much they, they love the city. So, yeah, that I mean, that happens a lot, actually. And a lot of people's first connection to the city is through something like a jazz fest or French Quarter Fest, or maybe they came here for a business meeting and they, you know, fall in love with it. So um, yeah, $400 million for, for just jazz fest alone is pretty huge. Funny. Right. So coming up, um, you've got, you mentioned a couple of the big meetings that are coming up, but how would you characterize, um, let's say the approach of New Orleans and company to the coming year? Um, we still have uncertainty with probable um, surges uh, through the year. And, and it sounds like, you know, you're weathering them. You're just simply getting through them. You're just uh, marching on. But give me a little bit of a sense of, of what's coming. How's yeah, that your well, you know, we are a um, couple things. You know, we've got our uh, Essence Fest is returning in July. Um, in June, we're going to be celebrating the um, Restaurant Week in New Orleans, which is a, a partnership of New Orleans and Company and the Louisiana Restaurant Association. Um, we're going to have, uh, you know, a number of, of events going on. Tales of the Cocktail is happening in July. Um, you know, and this week we've celebrated National Travel and Tourism Week. So we had a couple of events this week in the city, including a big parade of, of hospitality workers. But you know, kid, yeah. we are, you know, we're, we are constantly selling the city. We never take it for granted. You know, we want every week to be like a jazz fest week in terms of prosperity and opportunity for our business owners and, and everyone in the cultural economy. Um, some of us are gonna be going to a conference of the US Travel Association in early June. And we're going to be there um, the conference is in Florida, but we're going to be there to promote New Orleans to international travel journalists, to um, international travel buyers. And these are people who live in other countries who are eager to bring tour groups and, and uh, cruise passengers and other, you know, international visitors to, to New Orleans and to the United States. So, um, you know, there, there are some good things on the calendar, but we have some gaps to fill for 2023. We're booking conventions now for, you know, five, 10, 20 years into the future. Um, we are making sure that we're doing all the marketing and promotion that we can and keeping every segment of the industry full. So whether it's, you know, weddings, cruise ships, conventions, international travelers, um, you know, we are, are working to make sure that every segment of the industry is strong. Um, and you mentioned cruise ship, and I'm just curious because, of course, that was one of the um, part, the segments of the industry that uh, really did have a rough time during the pandemic. They, um, you know, 
COVID spread spreads when in your internal situation. So how, how did that, uh, how's that looking? How did that turn out? Well, you know, the cruise passengers are, are pretty loyal to cruising. Um, and and we've, we've seen that, you know, um, the cruise ships that are sailing out of the port of New Orleans right now are sailing full. Um, you know, those travelers have said, you know, we trust the guidelines in place. Many people have their uh, <laughs> vaccines and boosters. They're following the guidelines of each cruise line. But, um, you know, Carnival and Disney and Norwegian, um, and, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some others, but they're, they're sailing from New Orleans. And <laughs> their ships sailing from here are full. That's another thing that we do is work with the travel agents to make sure you know, if you're going to take a cruise from the U.S., you know, you could sail out of Miami or Galveston or lots of other places. And so we want to make sure that that people are sailing from New Orleans. And when they do that, they typically add a day or two before their cruise. It's like a another vacation, really. So they come to New Orleans, enjoy our culture, enjoy our um, our shops and restaurants, and then they get onto their cruise ship and, and go on their voyage. So um, it's a really strong segment that's come back after a really tough time. Sounds great. Uh, I, I usually um, have, you know, more negative elements to uh, address. I mean, I know we're having to grapple with our crime issue, but as I said, we know that that's happening everywhere. Uh, it's, it's, it seems to be linked to the psychological impact of the um, of the uh, uh, pandemic and, and just the changes and again, the uncertainty, but um, I know that we're addressing it. Um, I look forward to hearing more as the summer goes on and the year goes on and um, all power to you and thank you for taking care of us and making sure that they, those folks keep coming. Well, thank you, Jane. And thank you for always letting us come on your show and, and being a wonderful advocate for this industry too. We appreciate you. I, I go back as far as when there were two people in an office on Royal Street when I first came here as a reporter and I walked in and there was Ed McNeil and Beverly Gianna. And now how many people work for the Tourism Commission? Now we've got about 60. Yeah, <laughs> so so it's, it's, a, it's a very strong um, effort. And I, I still give uh, Ed McNeil a lot of credit for um, securing the commitment from the state that uh, has helped you grow. But um, to all the talent of course yourself and all the other executive people in your shop and all the way down, up and down the line thank well, you thank, you know i filled beverly gianna's seat in 2006 and it, it took about i think five years before people stopped calling me the new beverly <laughs> which i took quite a compliment so <laughs> in my phone book i still um if i don't remember what number to call i put in beverly gianna <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad uh, to spend some time with you and uh, All right, thank you. Let's enjoy it. Okay, thank hope you. everything keeps going well. Thank All you. Right. Thank you. Take care. So Bob Tannen um, has filled his garden and home with his latest work from uh, what you might call his red period. It's red art. Uh, and he is welcoming people to an open house and garden on Saturday, the seventh uh, of May, of, of Second Jazz Fest weekend, um, Bob Tannen, what is all this red art about? Um, the answer to why red art began with my parents, who were members of the American Communist Party during and after World War II. 
I was sent to a communist art school on Saturdays, beginning at age seven, to learn how to make social realist art. So that's the beginning of something that's changed over time. Uh, I am not a communist, and in fact, the original ideas of communism have been perverted in recent years uh, by uh, the activities in China, uh, Russia, North Korea, and perhaps other places. This work that I'm doing is an attempt to uh, better understand the fact that we have uh, lost our ability uh, to produce positive products that do not destroy the world in the process. Uh, China is the major manufacturer of most economic uh, products that we and others consume. Russia is the principal Chinese um, trader or uh, source. Uh, we are the second largest consumer of Chinese project, products in the world. So this art is a warning, but there's an ambiguity to the color red. It is both a warning and it's also associated with love and with passion. So we have to be very careful about how we deal with our lives and with the politics we're currently faced with. Um, so this is political art. Um, and it's something I've been doing most of my life in one way or another. Even the environmental art is political art. I've been concerned that we have been abusing this uh, wonderful planet. And uh, with my view that all things of uh, animal, vegetable, or mineral have a life cycle uh, that begins and ends, which will also occur with this planet. But we may be accelerating uh, the uh, process of decline through the habits that we have now become uh, very much committed to. Um. I think also um, you're concerned uh, that we're not really um, responding to that reality. Absolutely. Uh, you've, you've done no. some work that you called uh, reflecting the invisibility of climate change. I don't think we are dealing with climate change at a global level seriously anywhere. Perhaps some people are trying to do it as best they can, but we're not dealing with the science and the technology that has to be applied to this situation. Politically, the fact that, that half of our country uh, does not believe 
that climate change has any importance to them. Uh, they would prefer to focus on issues of abortion and race and gender, uh, gender without uh, uh, recognizing the importance of climate. Um, when I was working in Iran in the 70s, I was working on the seaport, planning a seaport on the Sea of Oman, and I was working uh, uh, above the, the sea at about a hundred foot elevation on a cliff, and I found seashells uh, at a hundred foot elevation that had been there when the Sea of Oman was a hundred feet uh, above the present elevation. That was a warning to you. Yes. Well, I hope people uh, get the message, but also um, it is a party, and there will be apparently some uh, sangria and uh, a, a it's singer. Not an, it's not just a party, it's an art sale. It's an art, it's an art discussion, an art experience, Dialogue. an art sale. Um, that's both environmental and political. Well, I hope people um, get some messaging from it, but also enjoy it. And also you have a young singer, a new young singer, um, uh, who's going to be performing, uh, uh, Jemima uh, Brady. And um, I think uh, people will enjoy... Uh, She's also asked me my favorite song, and I told her it was Old Man River, so she may be singing Old Man River in her own style. I think it, it'll be an occasion for people to enjoy. Thank you, Robert Tannen. Um, Jeff Schwartz, uh, I have been in contact with over the years, first as a um, urban planning student from MIT, MIT who helped get the broad um, community connections uh, group and that whole avenue redevelopment uh, launched and uh, and, um, and and have watched him now um, work and taking some of the lessons you learned there and of course in, in uh, your program uh, to the city and um, he as head of the economic development department of the city of New Orleans has um, done some very serious work on a what he calls a generational, let's see, plan for generational economic transformation. That's right. No small objective. Not plans. <laughs> yeah. And a very thoughtful, intentional, and um, multi-tiered uh, program is coming out of it. Now, uh, I want to make this kind of, you know, for people who are not planners, who are not involved with economic development, a lot of the jargon that we use in that, that world, um, it's going to go over um, to, over people's heads. So I want to really try to um, make this understandable. And, and then we'll ask the question as we go through what your plans are, you know, the, how we're going to make sure that this actually happens, because that's always the, the challenge. So, um, what is a multi-generational economic transformation plan? 
Yes, it's, a, it's the essential question. Yeah, uh, and, and thanks, Jean, uh, for the kind words. Uh, uh, happy to uh, be talking about this with you. Um, uh, really, it's a it's first and foremost, it, it's an economic development strategy for the city of New Orleans, and I think that's a very basic point, but a really important one, because um, while the the city has a number of amazing partners uh, externally. Um, in the city that it works very closely with on economic development. Uh, the city itself hasn't uh, put its own kind of stake in the ground in a really long time uh, in terms of saying what its priorities are and, and how uh, the city, the, the administration and, and its uh, many departments, um, how we want to work to grow our economy and make it a more equitable and vibrant economic base that serves more New Orleanians. Um, and so I think at bottom, um, it's it's just a plan. It's a strategy. Um, it's it's hopefully a lot a lot more than that. Um, but I think at its at its root, uh, it really is um, just a, a statement of what we want to prioritize in the coming years, um, so that we can state what our goals and our values are, and and be able to be in partnership with as many uh, New Orleanians, businesses, stakeholders, uh, uh, partners um, uh, as possible. Um, so that we can, can keep the city moving in the right direction. So you've stated in the plan, your vision is a vibrant, equitable and inclusive city where all New Orleanians at every stage of their lives and in every neighborhood enjoy access to economic opportunity, quality jobs and a high quality of life for themselves and their families. The mission, and sometimes it's hard for people to understand, I think the difference between a vision and a mission, but encourage inclusive economic growth and economic mobility by creating new jobs, revitalizing neighborhoods, investing in people and our priority industries and creating a system to thrive. So the, the words that pop out there obviously are people, um, priority industries and revitalizing neighborhoods. I think those three things pop out at me, obviously, yes, we, we, we would like to have a better job market. We'd certainly like to see people have a better promotability. And I think that one of the reasons that I hear when people I wish wouldn't leave the city do mm -hmm. is uh, not seeing the, the ladder, not seeing the opportunities beyond what they're doing. So um, the jobs aspect, of course, is really strong. But um, give me a, a, a kind of a, a shorter hand version of a very complete and comprehensive plan about how you're going to achieve that mission and vision. Yeah, um, well, it certainly isn't, it's all hands on deck. Um, we can't do this alone. And that's a part of why uh, we've outlined what our priorities are so that we can uh, work with anyone who wants to, to work with us. And, and we wanna build you know, bridges where there aren't currently uh, in order to achieve that, that vision. Um, and again, a vision is, is you know, if you are successful, what does the city look like? Um, and I think, uh, you know, having that sense of equity, you know, across race and class and geography is, is really, um, you know, what, what we're striving towards. Um, but it's going to require funding. It's going to require investment. It's going to require partnership, um, you know, really at, at all levels in order to, to see, you know, this work, uh, you know, truly realized. And um, I think one thing that uh, somebody raised uh, during your presentation as city council, and I'm very conscious of because I 
often in, I, I, I don't think I put out a newsletter that I don't remind everybody that the solutions to crime are not more police and prisons, but um, better education and training and job opportunities. Kids mm -hmm. knowing that they have a future. I think right. if you don't know what your potential is in your future, that's when all bets are off and you wind up grabbing the pennies that you can grab on the street. Yep. And so um, how, how do you envision, I think one of the, I think the important thing is people understanding and, and believing and having trust in a, a, a different kind of future for the city. Yeah, I think that's right. I think um, one of the things, and I, I don't mean this to sound too, too uh, fluffy or 10,000 feet off the ground, but one of the things I think we really need to start doing in New Orleans is telling different stories about ourselves and, and not in a way to dismiss or paper over the real structural and institutional challenges, institutional racism, you know, uh, structural disinvestment in, in communities that has happened uh, frequently very intentionally. Um, we can't paper over those. We have to look those in the eye and, and know where we've been. Um, but yes, you know, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, the idea that we have an embarrassment of riches in this city in terms of our, our um, sort of natural advantages, our people, our culture, um, and the industries that are that truly are rooted here that we have the ability to grow and create more jobs for. Um, we need to be lifting those up and, and telling those stories more so that, you know, in many ways, uh, we're, we're able to influence how investment happens, how companies decide to invest in our, our city and our communities. And that ultimately does touch down to the ground, like you've, you've noted, um, where we're actually, you know, creating jobs for, for people, um, for, for New Orleanians. Um, you know, because uh, I, I think the mayor, the mayor says it frequently, and I think it's right, you know, not, nothing stops a, a bullet like a job. And, you know, um, we know that that's not easy work, uh, creating jobs at, at scale, um, and connecting folks who, who might not have the training or there, there, where there's a lot of barriers to connecting, you know, um, our workers and our businesses to those opportunities. But that is, that's the work of, of economic development at its, at its bottom. It's, it's about growing jobs. It's about growing our tax base um, and also asking who, who benefits from that, that growing economy. And I think that um, if, we, if we're doing this right, uh, then you, you're, I, I couldn't agree more with you that this is a systems approach to addressing um, a lot of the challenges that you don't just arrest your way out of, right? That the way that we get to better quality of life is in, in some ways, uh, you know, supporting the small businesses in our neighborhood commercial corridors or, you know, making sure that, um, you know, there's access to, to opportunities that make it so that uh, individuals aren't making, you know, really challenging decisions about how to, you know, keep food on the, on the table at night. And so um, that, that to me has to be what uh, any, any economic development strategy is, is rooted in. So, um, you know, we've all heard about jobs and opportunities as long as we've lived, um, whether we've lived 20 years or, uh, in my case, uh, a bit more. Um, I, I, so it's, it's, it's really, I, I want to understand what you think is the magic in your strategies, because there's more than one, mm -hmm. um, that is, is really going to be different from 
what we've experienced in the past. I mean, you know, one of the best mayors I've ever experienced uh, either working for or with or covering, because I've worked for or with or covered, I don't know, about almost close to a dozen mayors. Uh, and and the, the, the promise of jobs and opportunities are, are made over and over again. So what is it about this generational transformation that you think is, is, is really going to be different from all of these other um, experiences we've, we've had in the past? What, what gives you that confidence that, that you're going to really make a difference and do it different from the way it's been done before? Sure. Yeah. Right. Every generation thinks that they have have the answers that their their forebears didn't. Um, uh, but but yes, I think um, there's some really unique elements of where we are in the the history of this city. I think, um, and I was actually just just posed this question yesterday, meeting with a, a group of, of businesses who were were actually in town, and and someone asked the exact same question: What? Why is it different now than at any other time in the city's history? And I think. You know, in some ways, um, we're we're almost a generation removed from Hurricane Katrina now, um, and I think particularly with that and with um, this this COVID context that we're you know thankfully mercifully uh, emerging from right now, um, we are uh, you know at, at a point where things are pretty unvarnished, and I think we we can see. The fruits of a lot of labor that um, you know, a lot of New Orleanians, a lot of leaders, a lot of you know, businesses and, and residents working on the ground have you know, wrenched the city out of the aftermath of Katrina and done yeoman's work at every level. Um, but I think we we really see where we are, you know, 17 uh, years after the fact, almost 17 years, and I think. Um, you know, in terms of the next generation of, of political leadership, of business leadership, um, you know, folks grew up in in that context or have you know really um, been been living in that in that environment for uh, again the better part of two decades. And I think um, we know what what is real here and what is just simply narrative that is just that fluff. And so I do think that when we talk about what what are the industries that really are growing here that really are rooted here that you know we're not just chasing smokestacks or Amazon HQ2, um, but where we know um, and, and you know I know you've been you've been you know waging this campaign for for uh, as long as anybody um, you know in, in particularly in, in some industries uh, you know we can see what uh, what is working and what what serves us about this place and what. Uh, what things need to change here. And so I think we are at, at a very unique inflection point um, in, in the city's history. And we say it in the plan, but you know what the decisions that we make in the coming uh, you know, two, three, four, five years really are going to make or break, I think in a lot of ways, the, the amazing momentum and, and head of steam that we've built up post Katrina, um, but also which we've seen in COVID and, and in our immediate aftermath of Katrina, we know can fall down, you know, just as quickly. Um, and so, you know, I would just point to seeing um, the amazing year of technology exits that we saw last year. And in, in the case of tech, it's a, it's a good thing to exit. Um, you know, there was over $2 billion of value created overnight in the city, a billion of which is, is staying in the city and in, in local uh, pockets. 
um, of the, you know, the entrepreneurs and, and workers in those companies, you know, that, that came out of, you know, over two decades of, of work that, that, uh, you know, had been taking place in the city, um, you know, through the, the entrepreneur support organizations. Um, it didn't just magically bubble up overnight, um, you know, and, and it obviously was the really hard work of those companies to stay here. And, and, um, you know, and I think you can tell that story across the board, you know, the, I know, you know, the cultural economy and the creative economy so well, um, you know, film over, there's almost a billion dollars of film activity permitted last year in the city alone. And so, you know, we know that there are industries that aren't our legacy industries of hospitality and tourism and, and logistics and energy. Um, those industries all still are critically important to the economic base of the city. But we now see, and what we highlight in this plan is that if we want to start growing our economy again, we have seven or eight other industries that we know are rooted here and that can be wildly successful here if we are really intentional about it. Building, building on our core um, industries is, is one of the things that you've emphasized, making sure that instead of uh, chasing some you know, magic dream from somewhere else, we're really going to focus on, on building on our, our core industries. And um, I guess there's a, a, a really important um, gap or connection that needs to be addressed between, again, our younger people and um, the industries that we want to grow. Uh, and, and that, again, points to the, the thing of uh, the factor of education. There wasn't yep. a, a ton um, in this about that. There was, you know, I, I see human capital and workforce development. Mm -hmm. um, tell me what your thinking is on, um, on how we better link um, the, our, our manpower um, possibilities um, and, and get the skills that uh, the younger people need to, it's a very different economy from it is. just a few years ago. I mean, we yeah. really are in the middle and I don't know how many people really, the people who have lost factory jobs are certainly aware of this, but um, sure. of the extent Tourism. to which the, yeah. the nature of our, of our economy has changed and is a highly technological um, society now, and we really have to have that, that those kind of skills. So tell me about how you've been thinking about that. Yeah, well, and, and so so one quick point, you're absolutely right. We didn't um, explicitly touch on education in, in this plan, um, except where it uh, overlays with workforce development and, and human capital, um, uh, which is just, you know, a, a jargony way of talking about people. Um, but certainly, you know, Dean, I, I could not agree more that we have to we have to embed economic development in in a wider context. We we have to acknowledge that we can't talk about economic development without talking about education and affordable housing and transit and so many of those other systems that we need to to be investing in. Um, so I, I I just wanted to to note that um, and, and agree with you. Um, insofar as as this plan and strategy sort of looks at it. Um, workforce development and economic development are two sides of the same coin. We can't, we can't grow our economy and create jobs without having a skilled workforce that's able to um, help those companies um, or those entrepreneurs uh, grow and, and be successful and, and vice versa. We, we can't do economic or excuse me, workforce development without having jobs for our residents or for people who want to, to relocate here. Um, you know, I think for far too long, we've just told everybody, you know, go to college, 
and I know, you know, this is, this has changed, you know, a number of years ago, but it, you know, it used to be like, go get a four-year college degree and you'll be fine. Um, and we know, as you just noted, that is not, that is not the world we're living in. If, if that ever really was, you know, truly the case, um, if we've always known that the skilled trades and craftspeople and, you know, uh, you know, artists and others, you know, there are other, um, uh, career pathways that that individuals can follow, but again, power of narrative. What 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 do we talk about and what do we lift up? Um, obviously, four year college degrees are are very appropriate and and uh, for for many people. Um, but what we really focus on in, in this plan and and um, my colleagues at the city um, and I are very focused on thinking about cradle to career and thinking about how we can reduce barriers to accessing you know uh, work opportunities to um, entrepreneurship opportunities but also um, uh, increase the the connectivity and by that I just mean um, really connecting dots between somebody going back to get a, um, a credential in a given industry so in getting a water uh, or, or green economy based credential or a credential in uh, you know a, a skilled trade, um, knowing that they'll have a job lined up at the end of it um, is incredibly powerful. And you'll frequently hear that referred to as a demand-driven or an employer-driven workforce approach. And so we have really good examples of that throughout the city. Um, our workforce development office is focused on it. An organization called U-Force NOLA is very focused on, on that. You see a lot of earn and learn programs throughout the city that are that are doing great work. And um, Boeing has actually worked with Nunez, one of our you know, great um, uh, career and technical colleges mm -hmm. in the city and, and region. Um, they had a program uh, a couple years ago where they had 70 jobs waiting for um, folks going through the aerospace program at Nunez to work out at, at NASA Michoud. So, um, you know, we, we really are focused on uh, one, what we just passed this past weekend, which is incredibly exciting, the, the early childhood education millage is going to support our youngest uh, and our most vulnerable. So making sure that exactly to, to see the dividends, to think about um, to think about what generational means, you know, in this plan to think what we're going to be investing in with that millage and the thousands of, of you know, children who are going to be getting that early childhood education now that would not otherwise have access to it. Um, up through um, working with what are frequently referred to as opportunity youth, which is 16 to 24 year olds who are out of work and out of school, and then very much focused on, on adults uh, credentialing and education and workforce training, um, you know, and, and really thinking about how do we help uh, individuals who might already be working, but uh, want to uh, grow in their job, right, and move up a career ladder. Um, especially in these in the priority industries that we know are growing and need workers, um, we need to be doing everything we can. And, and you know, um, my colleague Sine uh, Villavaso, who runs our workforce development office, is very focused on, you know, how do we build programs in those priority industries, um, or work with partners in those priority industries to make sure that folks, New Orleanians, have jobs um, and are getting trained uh, to to take those jobs at the end of that that training program. Um, I want to move to the um, place-based economic development. Is, yes. You have these five areas of action, just so that I can put this out there. Place-based economic development, catalytic redevelopment, and I'd love to 
Uh, I think I know what you're talking about, but I'd love yeah, to hear we you. Can dig in. Innovation and entrepreneurship, human capital and workforce development, we've been talking about, and systems for economic development. And that sounds like, uh, from what I gleaned in the meeting yesterday at the city council, mm -hmm. um, well, by the time this is aired, it was, of course, um, Wednesday, and this will air on Friday. Place-based economic development. I'm very excited about that. I want you to tell me more about that. Yeah. So the, as you noted, this is really near and dear to my heart, um, uh, you know, doing doing work on the Broad Street corridor and, and the neighborhoods uh, along there and working with the 120 or so small businesses uh, there, um, uh, you know, I think really cemented my convictions around this. Um, you know, um, uh, New Orleans, place matters everywhere. It, it matters here more than in probably most places. Um, but when we think about how particularly a city can support small businesses, there's really three broad ways that we can do it. It's through procurement um, and making sure that that businesses have access to opportunity. Um, and the city has, you know, a, a really robust um, disadvantaged business uh, enterprise program that our Office of Supplier Diversity manages. Um, we have local hire requirements and, and others. And so, you know, we do a lot through the power of the purse that the city has. For the contracts that we let out for for city uh, funded work, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot that we do and, and are always striving to do more to help businesses access opportunity um, that way. The second way that you can support small businesses is to to provide you know financial and technical assistance to them, um, and we have a really amazing network of entrepreneur support organizations. So everything from you know. Uh, Idea Village and Propeller to Thrive and Fund 17, um, you know, Good Work Network, New Corp, um, I, Good Work Network is now called Gobi. Um, uh, you know, there's so many more, the Urban League, uh, the Chambers, um, you know, NOLA BA does really amazing work with that the ecosystem of, of um, technical assistance providers, our SBDCs, the Small Business Development Centers, the list goes on and on. We have an amazing array of organizations working to support small businesses um, as they they try to grow and and you know tackle any of the challenges that are in front of them. Coming back to place-based development, um, the the there's a third missing leg to how we can support small businesses and grow wealth in in communities, particularly underserved communities in New Orleans, and that's to support businesses in place because as we know. City of New Orleans is a city of small businesses. Most businesses in the city are never going to bid on a public contract to build a road or do work at the airport or you know, do, do any level of services that the city actually procures directly. And, and many small businesses are not going to be looking for venture capital or going after you know, a, a really high growth, highly scalable um, set, set of work. And so really... What um, the, one of the only and best ways that we can support small businesses is in place. When we look at corridors like Broad Street or Aretho Castle Haley Boulevard or Claiborne or I'll say Forche, you know, in every St. Claude, I mean, exactly, the list goes on and on. And in every community, as we all know, there is a, a commercial backbone likely in every neighborhood in New Orleans, um, you know, from the more auto-oriented neighborhoods that developed later on in the city's history to the most historic neighborhoods in the city, there's a commercial corridor or a district in, in just about every neighborhood in New Orleans. And yet I would argue, and, and what this plan contemplates is that we can be doing more 
to coordinate and support those businesses in place to grow wealth, to maybe purchase their building or do a facade improvement. Um, we can be doing more to market those businesses and, and help give them the technical assistance that they need. Um, we can create um, loan products with our financial partners to help them access capital. Um, you know, we can be doing more on the streetscape projects. And, you know, I know we, many of us who are here after Katrina remember uh, the, the, um, uh, I forget what they even call them, the target areas, I think there were the 17 target areas in the city and, you know, they, they uh, weren't executed in the way that I think we all would have liked, but I think at bottom, it was a recognition that there are um, key nodes and geographies in the city that we can be coordinating when we do road projects, maybe we can also be doing streetscape improvement projects to make it um, a, a better place for folks to come and shop or eat. Um, and so that, that, that's really the core of that place-based economic development. And, and if, I, if I might add just a, a one a perspective on that, um, you know, we have this problem uh, of solving the um, conflict between the need to find opportunities for our musicians and our performers and uh, really any kind of cultural uh, production um, in, in parts of the city that again, do exactly what you're talking about, help to revive uh, some of these commercial corridors and and, uh, and and drive business into neighborhoods. But on the other hand, sort of keep them away from somebody's backyard. Sure. So, um, I, I, you know, we, we've been talking in our shop uh, at, the, at the Creative Alliance about um, trying to identify locations in neighborhoods where you could have live music amplified that would help support a commercial uh, a development, but keep it away from um, really intruding on the quality of life of residents. Yep. Uh, it's something uh, we feel pretty strongly about because we, yeah. we want to support our musicians. Um, but on the other hand, uh, we certainly understand the importance of not, um, you know, destroying the quality of life of people yep. in their There's homes. A balance. I would um, look to the idea of addressing that whole issue of live music in the context that you're talking about, your place-based um, objectives. Um, yep. You know, it, 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 it is a, it's a monument. I would really highly recommend to people and tell me where I can tell them to go actually read it. It's, it's very deep. It's, 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 uh, it's very ambitious. I think anybody, <laughs> say, really, you're really going to get this done. Um, yep. I, I feel confident that, you know, having worked with you and, and um, on Broad Street, that you can make a lot of this happen. But let me put it to you this way. Let give me just a kind of closing soundbite because we are running out of time. Yes. Um, of of how you would describe um, what you will have done in a few years, having implemented this extremely ambitious project, plan for generational economic transformation from the Office of Economic Development in the City of New Orleans. And, and, and folks are gonna be able to find this on the, the city's website. Yes, it, it, it actually, it. yeah, yeah. So it, it um, actually hasn't even been posted yet to the Office of Economic Development's uh, website. Um, okay. That's where they, they'll be able to find it. And there will also be a, a standalone um, uh, uh, site for, for right, the for plan. Yep. Okay, great. Yep. Um, so I, I do, um, folks listening, please, uh, or watching, please think about taking a look at it. It is kind of deep. You're going to have to slog through it. <laughs> it's very um, ambitious and intentional and uh, important that um, we support this too and participate in it. And I would say, Jeff, 
if somebody really wanted to get involved and, and one of the things that you are encouraging, and this is important to a lot of people who don't really know how to interact with city government, they kind of think, mm -hmm. oh, that's over there when right. it's really in their backyard in a sense. How do you want to encourage people to engage um, with your office and work on this? Yeah, it's a, that's uh, such a good question. Um, we, we want to interact with, with everybody. Um, and I think for, for folks who are, you know, on the ground or on the outside looking into City Hall, um, you know, finding a piece of, of this, this strategy and identifying with it um, is the first place to start. And, and we would love to have a follow-up conversation with anybody about um, how they want to support that, whether it's in a creative industry, whether it's supporting a neighborhood-based commercial district, whether there's a large project, you know, in their midst um, with some of the catalytic redevelopment work that we are doing, um, you know, we want to engage with everybody. So, um, you know, the, the easiest thing is to, to call the office or, or email the office. Um, we can also, we have a, a monthly um, call with, with uh, sort of, it's open for, for any stakeholders. Um, sort of fireside chat, um, you know, without too prescriptive of an agenda. Um, you know, we love to invite um, any any businesses or stakeholders to that. Um, you know, really uh, any way Is that, that on the city's calendar somewhere. Those it, um, so so that call will be. We actually just started it. We it, it evolved out of our uh, regular COVID uh, calls that we actually just um, uh, ended this past month after you know two two almost two and a half years. Um, uh, but yes, those those monthly calls will be on the official city calendar, um, and so folks will be able to to you know get the Zoom information uh, that way. Um, and uh, yeah, we you know we we just welcome uh, the the engagement. You know, I think we're a relatively small but mighty office, um, and and like we started out saying, we we aren't going to be able to do all of this uh, without without everybody. But I think to answer your 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 last question there, your prompt, Gene. We, you know, in a, there is indeed a generation of work contemplated in this plan. Um, I it's think it's not happening overnight. It's That's not happening I, overnight. I think uh, people should realize it. Look, they're going to look at it and say, "Wow, how are they going to do all that?" Mm -hmm. it, it's going to take time, but it is. Um, you're going to. But, but we'll set the stage, there. right? Exactly. Over the next couple of years, that that's the that's the good work. We'll be we'll be laying all of that foundation and, and groundwork for this work to continue, you know, not not just by political administration, but really, you know, generationally. That's that's kind of the the whole framework we've adopted here. Well, let's definitely um, think about updates, uh, conversations. Uh, I'd love to. Um, so when you have uh, um, a new initiative that is uh, coming, being fulfilled, um, uh, activated, uh, be in touch with us and let's uh, make sure people know about it. Because I think that's one of the really um, essential things is that uh, people know what you're doing, what know what's happening. And I think that'll make a big difference in getting the support you're going to need to get the money together and the resources. Absolutely. And, and, I, and you've mentioned in your planning already of the importance of working regionally and with other organizations. Yes. I know all that's going to happen. Indeed. So I'm wishing you all the luck in the world. And thank you um, so much. I want you to keep our cultural industries uh, close to Always your Always at the forefront. Yeah, the mayor <laughs> um, wouldn't have it any other way, <laughs> nor would I. About that as, uh, as, as we go forward. Yep. All right, Jeff Schwartz with the um, city's uh, Office of Economic Development with a brand new, very, very intentional plan. And I'm wishing you all the luck in the world. Thank you so much, Gene. All right. Thanks, everybody.